Hi, I'm Thomas Darv, the host of Talent Acquisition Matters. By creating this podcast, I want to share best practice, learn, develop and listen to some of the most innovative minds in the talent world. I'll be interviewing talent acquisition leaders and suppliers to understand more about some key topics like personal branding, the new world of talent attraction, candidate experience, the power of feedback, defining the perfect process, onboarding talent with impact and the art of retaining the best to attract the best. I hope you enjoy and let me know if you'd like to join me as a guest. Hello and welcome back to the Talent Acquisition Matters podcast with me, Thomas Dove, founder of Fraser Dove International, the life sciences talent consultancy. Um, I'm so excited for today's episode um, with my good friend, TJ Power. How are you doing? Hello, mate. Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? Yes, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Um, Now, there's going to be a lot of love for TJ in this session. So I love the guy. Um, We've known each other for a little while now. TJ and I first met in our local coffee shop following a recommendation from somebody in my team. Um, I remember meeting him with a lot going on in my mind at the time. Uh, Company growth, some challenges with staff that we were trying to work through with them struggling to get the right balance with kids at home. All of these kind of things were just flying around in my mind. Um, I met with TJ and literally after about five minutes, I was like totally chilled, completely back in the zone, (laughs) got my head back in the game. And I was like, this guy definitely could help. Um, So before I go into too much of a TJ loving, um, I just wanted to to ask you, TJ, to to kind of introduce yourself um, take a moment to kind of introduce what you do and, and how you've done it to the to the listeners, if you can. Wonderful. Yeah, it was uh, it was exciting to me. I had a good time in that coffee shop, and it's awesome how these things transpire. And we're here now. In terms of what I do, I came to university studying the world of psychology and neuroscience, and went into the world of lecturing down at Exeter University. And in that world of talking about the mind and it was in mental health and performance when I was there I suddenly realized there was an opportunity to kind of move this into organizations and start working with organizations so that's what I began doing about 16 months ago and I spend all my time kind of delivering these holistic mind health journeys in a real range of different organizations supporting staff with their minds, their experience they're having in their mind, and then also their ability to perform in their roles. Yeah, great. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting space for me and also for our listeners, I think, within the, the talent space. I think there's a, a hell of a lot going on. I feel like my my personal life is, you know, either half-written WhatsApp messages that I haven't been able to send to people that I really need to because my mind goes on to something else, or I have, you know, uh, so many different things open in my mind, it's difficult to actually get through certain tasks. So, you know, yeah. in this kind of fast-paced, um, over-connected world that we're living in, you know, what can you talk to us about that that maybe we can help to change some of the habits that we've got? Yeah, it's a good question. And something I can imagine many people resonate with, this experience of this modern world being quite overwhelming. And that That's what over the last kind of three or four years I've become fascinated by. Fascinated by why is it now that mental health is becoming such a big conversation? Companies are now having to prioritize it. It's in the media a lot. 
and trying to understand what's kind of shifted in the way in which we're living our lives and how has that then led to people maybe feeling more overwhelmed, more anxious, more stressed out by their experience. And I think it's pretty important to recognize the tech is a big influence on this. I'm not someone that hates tech. I've loved tech my whole life, but given my love for it and my desire to use my phone, my laptop, all of these different things on a regular basis, I've become quite conscious of how it does affect the mind, how it increases your thinking, maybe increases worry, all of these different things. And in terms of some guidance, I would say one of the most important things is starting to have a bit more of an intentional relationship with the tech that you have around you and starting to find spaces throughout your day where you actually disconnect from it. It's very easy nowadays to wake up straight into the phone, the alarm goes off and you kind of instantly you're somehow into LinkedIn or you're in your email within like 20 seconds from waking up and you're down, you're sitting at your desk and the day can kind of go on like that. And you can actually spend very, very little time disconnected from the machines. And one thing that I think is important is just periodically throughout the day, having moments where your mind is actually just on its own able to recharge its batteries effectively and kind of consolidate all this noise that's buzzing around. So a few simple steps. Definitely, I'd try and have a bit of a window of time when you wake up before the phone comes into your eyes and you start consuming information. Our minds are very vulnerable to information when they first wake. That's kind of a evolutionary adaptive mechanism. If you imagine you woke up, we used to have to act really fast if there was danger. So our minds are quite vulnerable. If we then throw in some stressful news or something annoying on social media, it sets our energy and our mood off in that direction. So a bit of space there. I would say at lunchtime, finding time to get out of the office you're in and walk around and leave the headphones behind and kind of actually just be on your own in your mind for a little bit of time. And then similarly in the evening, I think it's important to just find a window where you kind of disconnect a bit from your email. I like to put my phone on airplane, leave it on my desk and then kind of cook my dinner, interact with my girlfriend or my friends, whatever it may be. And have some time where your mind is just slowing down a bit, ready to ramp back up. And it makes a big difference to how well you can ramp it back up if it has its moments to quiet down a bit. Yeah, my wife and I actually, we had like a a phone bucket where we would go and put our phones. So it'd be like, you know, if you then want to go and have a look at it, you wander over and then before long as a habit, you then don't do that. Um, And The other other piece of advice I was given was um, not to charge your phone next to your bed. And yeah, that's a powerful one. The benefits of that are huge. I had that and then obviously had a real bad issue with the alarm clock next to my bed. And then my wife and I had a disaster trying to take the kids to school one day. All of a sudden the phone was (laughs) back. And then, as you say, you're checking emails and these these kinds of things 30 seconds after you wake up. It's a bit crazy. Now, one of the things that we did when we first went on the course with you, when my company, Fraser Dove, and, and, and yourself partnered together was we completed like a, a scorecard of how we, you know, look at things like tech or nature and all these kind of things. And one of the questions yeah. is quite interesting around phone time. Um, yeah. And I'd quite like to kind of ask for your understanding of what the averages are, because I, I remember saying that I think I'm on mine for about two and a half hours a day, which then when I looked at it, okay. I was like, crikey, that's quite a long time out of your entire day to look at this tiny little screen. Yeah. Um, can you give us any kind of overview of what the averages are or even for our listeners with, with children, you know, what's happening in the, in the younger ages? 
Yeah, definitely. That's a, a good area. And I think it's fascinating that they've added this screen time feature so we can start becoming a bit more aware. And if you're listening now, as I go through this, it's a good idea. You can go into settings, go onto screen time and have a look at yours. So in terms of averages, it ranges a lot in terms of your age. Unsurprisingly, the younger people are on it a lot more than the older people. And it kind of is periodically increasing as people are getting younger. When you say two and a half hours, that's actually a pretty low screen time. That Of all the screen times I see, that would be definitely, definitely lower end of usage, which is great. It means you're having time to focus on your work, your family, your wife, whatever it may be. Um, in terms of at the younger end, there's a, a recent young girl I worked with that was just a uh, close to me. And she was 14, experiencing anxiety in her mind and all of those kind of things. And when I looked at her screen time, it was at 18 hours, 44 minutes a day on average, which wow. is, which is like, because I went to look at it thinking, blimey, it could be sort of eight, nine hours. It could be pretty high. And I saw this figure and then I kind of went through a variety, kind of through the weeks and you see the weekly average and it was like 17 hours, 18 hours, 16 hours. And I was like, wow. So screen times can be pretty high. I would say. If you're kind of a working adult in 20s, 30s, 40s kind of age, anything around the, the three-hour mark, I think, is a, a quite a good time to have. When you're pushing into four or five hours, there's often probably a lot of mindlessly scrolling around and kind of just overwhelming your mind. So, yeah, any kind of two and a half, three hours, that's a, a good time to have. Wow. It is interesting, though. I mean, are you if you're spending that much time, like the 18-hour or even if you're talking about the nine hours. If you're spending that yeah. amount of time of the 24 hours in the day, and you're probably awake for, I don't know, 16 of those, that's you're almost half robot, right? If you're spending that time wow. looking at the screen. I know it's more, I don't even, I'm not even awake for 18 hours a day. Like I like a good seven or eight hours of sleep. So that only would leave me 16 hours on my phone if I was to do it in that way. So it is a lot. And I see lots of young people with, unbelievably high screen times and at the same time we're seeing anxiety and stuff like that massively rise in young people and i think it's pretty important society starts recognizing they must be interconnected yeah and i liked what you said earlier about trying to get that distance time away from the technologies and things because i mean from a from a professional standpoint i know that you know there can be a lot of pressure sometimes receiving an email from somebody and feeling like you have to answer it instantly mm. and it might be from a time zone perspective you're working with people in asia or in the us if you're european centric or it may be you know something super critical that you need to feel like you have to answer straight away and i try and say as much as i can in my businesses that if i'm emailing you it doesn't mean that you need to email me back email me in the work mm. time that's that's normal you know um but you do find that sometimes the kind of deeper you are into your professional career, the more you are online. And sometimes yeah. that can negatively impact the work that you do. If you're, you know, doing 16 hour days rather than nine or 10, it can be quite difficult to get that work-life balance correct. You know, have you got any tips for, for helping people kind of navigate through that? Yeah, definitely. And I think this is something so important to recognize because many of us are obviously working say standard nine till six if we're sitting at a desk and we're doing that kind of work but i think we underestimate how much of 
the morning is spent, even as you like wake up and you go to the toilet, you might sit there, you're suddenly on your emails and you're actually effectively working from the moment you wake. And then many of us, it could be 10 o'clock at night and we're like, right, I'll go up to bed. Let's just go through my emails. And lots of us are doing those kind of things now. And then at the same time, many of us feel quite exhausted. Maybe we've got lots of thinking in our mind. Our mood is going down. And with this, the kind of big thing to recognize before you look at the balance is kind of motivating yourself as to why you could find the balance. Kind of what would the why be, like a Simon Sinek style thing? What would the why be behind trying to motivate yourself to find a balance? And the big thing to recognize is we have this wonderful chemical in our brain called dopamine, which I'm sure you've heard of. And dopamine is the thing that motivates us to do stuff. So when you get out of bed, go and eat food, exercise, go and talk to people, do your work, dopamine is coming into your brain and motivating you to do it. Similarly, the phone provides us with dopamine. So when you refresh your emails to see whether a client has come back to you or you go on social media or you see if your friends replied about that fun thing on the weekend, the dopamine is what's connecting you in and motivating you into the phone. The difficulty is because we're periodically experiencing so much dopamine throughout the day from the phone, we're exhausting the resource effectively. So we're boosting it all the way up and then it's forcing it to drop down. Then we can kind of sit at our desk in, in the afternoon maybe and we're like, oh, I can't bother to work. I can't bother to even eat good food or go for a walk outside or anything because we've kind of run out of the one thing that motivates us to do those things. So in terms of why to find a bit of a balance between work and life, I think that's a very powerful thing to motivate you to consider because any time you're spending a period of time kind of away from your phone, away from your computer, you're recharging this chemical. So when you step out of your office at lunch. I think that's a really good thing to do. It doesn't have to be long. It could be five minutes, but our bodies need to move around. When you step out and you actually do a bit of exercise, that's kind of naturally recharging this chemical. Similarly, in the morning, if you can have a good period of time before you jump into the phone, if you have to kind of very quickly check, like sometimes I wake up and I need to see what the first few calls look like on the day. So I look at my phone, but then I try and step out of my home, kind of leave the phone behind and have a period of time where I'm actually just working on my own life rather than straight into the work. And the same thing in the evening. The other key area is actually beginning to utilize the weekends properly with this work-life balance because it is so easy to work Monday to Friday, but on Saturday and Sunday, still kind of be working the whole time. Even be out at a coffee shop with your wife and she goes to the toilet and then you're flicking through your emails and it's like you're not actually resting your mind at all. So on the weekends, I try and set myself these little periods of time, like two or three hours, maybe on a Saturday morning, Sunday afternoon, whatever it will be, where I really try to disconnect and try and leave it behind. And it can be a bit boring when you do that. Our mind's so kind of habitually inclined to experience stimulation now. But I've actually found that in the boredom, great for recharging your brain, but it's also great for kind of your mood and your creativity. Creativity is pretty important in our life, in our work, how we navigate our experience. Sometimes disconnecting from the tech, focusing on your own personal life actually enables you to get into more creative spaces that can help the work. So there's like a balance between them that can be powerful. I totally agree. I think retraining your brain to, I mean, sometimes the the telephone feels as though it's almost burning a hole in your pocket because it's like yeah. a natural reaction. You just pick it up, have a quick look, as you say, check your emails, 
you know, I quite like football. So I'm looking at a little bit of football news. Then I look at something yeah. else, you know, and it's, it's not terrible to have this amazing piece of technology in your pocket, right? That is quite good. But my brain sometimes is kind of demanding it just to fill the silence or whatever. Um, yeah. And a few years ago, yeah, I read something where it was like, you know, sit in your own company, sit in the silence. If you're on a train, have a look around everybody else that is on their telephones and it'll make you feel good. Um, and since I read that, okay. it, like, it's almost a little bit of snobbery where I feel that it is a quite a nice bit of personal time for me where I do get to recharge. It might be too much dopamine from other things that I'm getting in my life. But, you know, it is about taking that time just to sit comfortably with yourself but then I suppose it's the 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 voices, not that everybody has voices in their head, but the kind of self-talk that then comes through. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that you've got a really good point of view on on self-talk. You know, sometimes when filling, you know, time without your telephone, there can be some negative, you know, conversations that go on in people's minds, you know, and and, and it's about trying to turn those into a positive one. Yeah, self-talk is huge. And I always find when I do these journeys with companies and stuff, self-talk is one of the areas people really pick up on because we are all chatting away to ourselves in our heads all the time. Like even as I talk right now, I could even have a voice in my head saying, oh, is this a good thing to be saying? Like we all have these voices in, voices in our minds. And we are in a kind of unusual society where through social media and all of these different forms, we're largely observing all of the fantastic things that one another are doing. We're seeing everyone's highlights of their experiences, whether it's through their work, their relationships, their holidays, their looks, their fashion, anything. We're just kind of streaming into our brains. Look how fantastic everyone's doing. Look how fantastic everyone's doing. And that can lead to that voice in our head saying, you're not working hard enough or you're not good at your job or you don't look very good or you're not making enough money or whatever it may be. And that self-talk can be, quite a negative conversation at times and as you say if you take some space away from your phone suddenly that voice might ramp itself up a bit because it doesn't typically get its opportunity to be heard because normally it comes in it's like oh don't want to listen to that let's get instagram up so i can ignore it the big thing to recognize with this is i had this big time like i started spending a bit of time in the quiet when i was studying this in university and stuff like that and this voice was loud and I was thinking, wow, the only way I'm really going to solve this problem is if I spend a bit of time with this person or this voice that's in my mind. And although at first it can be kind of uncomfortable, in order to build any kind of relationship with something in life or someone in life, so if you meet a new friend or a new partner, whatever it may be, in order to build a relationship with them, You've got to spend time with them. You've got to chat to them, share with them, listen to them, whatever it may be. And then you begin to see a relationship form. Our self-talk is very, very similar. In order to actually build a conversation in your mind where you can highlight some of the positive, positive experiences taking place and acknowledge the effort you are putting into your life and stop kind of this constant outwards comparison, you have to actually spend time chatting away with it. And over time, even if it started with, just a five minute walk each lunch break that you go out there, chat away to yourself a bit, sometimes think about what you can see, all that kind of stuff. Over time, the relationship does build and you start realizing if I'm going to spend time here every day, I may as well make it a bit of a nicer experience because otherwise this is just going to be horrible each time I do it. And I saw that over a few months, three or four months, bit of time in the quiet, gradually building up a big shift in that conversation. 
And it has a big knock-on effect when your self-talk improves and you talk to yourself in a better way. You see changes in how you work, your exercise, what you're eating, how you engage with your partner, your kids, whatever it may be, because the conversation in your mind is actually a bit kinder and a bit more compassionate. Yeah. And it's that comparison piece that I think people see all of the time, Um, you know, be it on social channels, Instagram, whatever it might be, or people in your, you know, close proximity, friends, family, even from a professional standpoint, it's on, you know, LinkedIn, those kind of things, seeing people doing things. And there is a little bit of, yeah, you know, comparison. What's the best way for, for trying to 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 manage some of that i know you're um from a self comparison standpoint it's it's quite a big thing for you to be able to put yourself actually in in the picture and not just always looking at other people and aspiring to be exactly like them yeah definitely and it is huge this comparison piece and it's something that is actually quite subconscious in the human mind the desire to compare is something we innately have. And it's actually something that's really, really useful to human beings. If you go back to kind of ancestral sort of times and we're in tribal communities, constantly kind of comparing how you're hunting, finding food, building, looking after your kids, finding partners, whatever it may be. Constant kind of subtle comparison in your mind to assess what's the most advantageous is just going to maximize survival. So it's not an unusual mechanism that we have. It's just in the tribal times they didn't have a feed that could also show you the other tribe and how they're all doing things and how their linkedin page looks like and how they're building their house or whatever it may be and so the first thing to recognize is when comparison is taking place and if you can kind of try and bring it from subconscious into actually conscious awareness you see a post makes you feel a bit low makes you feel a bit frustrated makes you feel a bit jealous Try and actually bring that into your awareness and recognize, yeah, this post isn't making me feel that good when I see it. And then begin a conversation with yourself. And I've experienced this lots. There are people that are booming in the mental health space. I aspire to be like and all of those different things. And it's easy to kind of think, oh, I'm not there yet, whatever it may be. What I have found is when you have those conversations, start to become kind of present in the experience and start in those moments really noticing the different areas of progress that you've personally been making. So if you were comparing someone's exercising way more than me and I'm not exercising enough, start thinking, well, actually, I have been walking more this week and that's my effort. And that's what I'm doing for myself. Whether it's work, look, that person's getting that big pay rise, whatever it may be. Well, I have actually executed this task really well and that has been good and that relationship with my boss has been building. And when you start noticing the external comparison and then bringing it into your own mind and thinking, well, I am putting in loads of effort too and I am making progress, then you start to reorientate that kind of comparison conversation, which can be super valuable. And then that's that positive self-talk that you're talking about. It's kind of yeah. you know, saying to yourself, this isn't bad. You are doing okay. You know, this is your life. This is how it's working for you. You don't need to compare yourself against somebody else you are making some good steps you are making some progress i think sometimes people beat, them up, beat themselves up a bit too much so much i mean people are constantly beating themselves up about what they're eating or drinking or how well they're doing at their work and as i say it's just because we have so much opportunity to see the very small percentage of people that are really flying and you're only seeing the one moment they're flying in. It's not like one person is posting every single day saying, I'm experiencing all this good stuff. It's just a drip feed of each person having their little moment. So when you consume this content online, you think, well, I'm not making any progress. But 
we all are making loads of progress in our lives. Look at our society. It's rocketing forward as a, as a pace of the world, innovating like crazy. And everyone's having their kind of part to play in it and recognizing your own part to play rather than thinking, wow, I'm not quite like that person. I'm not like that person is powerful. And I also found the more you do that, the more you recognize your own experience, your own efforts and concentrate on that component of your thinking the actual more success that does then start to arise because you kind of stop your mind getting lost in all that stuff and you start helping your own mind out of it. Yeah. That leads me on to quite a, uh, uh, an interesting topic. So, you know, getting lost, being over-confused, having lots of things going on in your mind. You've spoken a couple of times already about going out and walking at lunch or walking in the morning, and you obviously are a, um, a big, um, you know, positive influence of getting out, getting into your local park, being around nature, how much does that influence our minds? You know, if we're super busy professionally, life, kids, et cetera, just being out in nature, can you give us any kind of insight into the chemical balance that then comes from that? Yeah, definitely. It is so huge. And eventually science is going to fully catch up with this. And there is lots of cool scientific insight coming now as to the value it provides in japan for example they've had a really challenging experience over the last couple of decades with mental health they kind of created this term called karoshi which is people effectively finding the modern world very overwhelming too much work too fast a pace and going into anxiety depression all of those kind of things and they developed this idea of how can we kind of scale up treatment for these people because not everyone can get to a therapist and all of those kind of things. And they developed this practice called Shinrin-yoku, which I'm sure I have butchered the way in which you say that. I'm sure it's a lovely, <laughs> elegant Japanese way to say it, but that's how a Brit says it. And that is the art of forest bathing. And they basically have just been placing thousands of people into forests and observing what takes place in their mind, in their body, in their mental health, all of these kind of things and it is tremendous what takes place when a mind goes into nature it's not actually that surprising that these things would happen because we did spend 200,000 years wandering around out there so it is where the whole mind the body is adapted to be and this is a new concept we've only just built the idea of sitting at desks and having computers and all of these kind of things the kind of things you see one is you have dopamine which is the motivating chemical then you have serotonin which is the one responsible for your mood and connects into your digestion and your sleep and stuff like that. But serotonin is really responsible for how you feel. And when in nature, instantly, as soon as you're in a natural setting, you begin to see a rise in the activation of serotonin. So that's why your mood may slightly lift. The other component is there's this thing called rumination, which is where our minds kind of repetitively worry and overthink. And I had this yesterday, actually, I kind of finished a day of work and it just been one of those very fast paced lots of different things to get through and I got to about 5 30 I think and my mind was just fried you know what it can be like you're on the yeah. computer for so long lots of different tasks and you're just like wow and you're kind of your mood is lower and you kind of don't have that energy it feels like there's lots of thoughts in your mind so I went out on my walk at the time I was thinking I can't bother for a walk I could just go and lie on the sofa whatever it may be well, I thought I want to feel good this evening. And if I don't do something about this, then I'll feel crap all evening, basically. So went out for this walk. And what you see when a brain is in nature, and there's some really cool research into this, where they basically put a live brain scanner on someone's head and they have someone walk through a city, kind of an urbanized setting. 
and then they walk through a natural setting, just walking through a park or through a forest, whatever it may be. And when you're in a city, you typically see the mind gravitate to what's called your default mode network. And that's what's in the center of the brain. It's kind of deep in here. That's what's associated with lots of thinking, kind of worrying, busy mind. When you're in nature, you see this sudden shift in the activation, kind of where the energy is to the front of your brain, which is called your prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is what activates when you're particularly engaged in something. So if you're really listening right now, that would be prefrontal cortex. If you're kind of listening, but then kind of thinking, you've got the other one activating. When we're in nature, you get this rush into prefrontal cortex. And the reason is because we're effectively in our home when we're there. Our mind and body are like, oh, I'm here. This is where I'm designed to be. And it will instantly, just habitually, start interconnecting with sound, smell, sight, what you can feel, what you can hear, everything, because it's just adapted to do that. And then you see this slowdown of all the worry of all the noise in your mind and an opportunity for it to basically rest. And then after the walk, you see that kind of really thinky bit of your brain that's been analyzing your life and how successful you are and how good a partner you are and all this stuff that it can do. You see that have a moment to slow down. The engagement of the present experience gets activated. When you come back to your work, you suddenly have a completely recharged level of energy because your mind effectively had a break when it's out there whilst getting the mood boost from the serotonin. Yeah, I mean, I remember having a just a very small conversation with you. This is going back to the, the coffee shop at the beginning, and you were talking a little bit about nature then. And since then, you know, on my walks to, to my office in London, so I, I go into the Waterloo train station, walk along South Bank, for any of the listeners that, nice. that know it, it's a lovely part of London, really nice walk. But there's, tree, there's a tree line across the Thames, and I, I even now take a moment as I'm walking to just look. And then, as you said, all of the senses just go into overdrive. So it is that yeah. look, it's the listening, it's the sense, it's I must look completely nuts as well as I walk and just stop, <laughs> kind of stare at a tree in the middle of a city. But it does. It's like good for the soul. It's a, it's a strange feeling that I hadn't really thought of before. Um, so I thank you for that. Thank you for for making me look slightly crazy as I uh, as I stop people and just stare at a tree. But I I definitely think it works. Um, so yeah, I think it. Sorry, you go. Oh yeah, I was going to say. So you know, from a from a nature perspective, um, so you're you're getting that that balance back. Um, what else do you think is important from a balance perspective, just to to kind of keep keep all of the chemicals in in the right right kind of alignment. In terms of other behaviors that are important to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Good. It's a good question. So as I say, what's really important to recognize with particularly how we're living in the modern world is we are just pumping this dopamine stuff like crazy, whether it's the phones, trying to be really successful, eating fast food, drinking, uh, drinking loads of booze. Uh, watching porn, all of these different things, they're smashing dopamine out of the park. So when we look at the other ways in which we're living our life, we want to really prioritize things that activate this serotonin stuff. With the serotonin, the mood one, it's a bit important to recognize 90% of it is made in our stomachs, in our digestive tracts. Dopamine is all in the brain. Uh, Serotonin is made in your body. So therefore, anything you do that effectively makes the body happier makes a big difference to this kind of balance between the chemicals so for example when you eat a good amount of nice healthy food 
you kind of eat the food. It's not that exciting, maybe, as you eat your kind of nice, healthy meal. It's like tastes good, you're hungry, whatever it may be. But typically after you eat a good, healthy meal, you kind of feel good. You feel energized, you're all right when you're working, whatever it may be. When you eat fast food, for example, in your head, you're like, wow, it's delicious. This Coke Zero alongside this burger and chips, so much stimulation in your brain, heaven, because the dopamine's pumping. Then as it comes into your body, you're like, oh, I feel a bit like sluggish and I can't bother to do anything. And it's because suddenly your stomach, which is making the serotonin stuff, is like, what the, is that? Why is that in here? Yeah. Now I can't make the chemical. I'm trying to make that makes you feel good. So one thing to do is just be aware of the food you put in your body. It doesn't mean you have to live some super strict, perfect diet, just broccoli. But it's just on a regular basis, fuel it with good food makes a big difference. The other area which is huge for our mind, huge for the way in which we perform in our work and our lives is sleep. And people talk about sleep a lot. I think it's underestimated the importance of good sleep. When we just miss out on a few hours, 90 minutes of sleep, 60 minutes of sleep, it very much changes the way in which our brain functions. We get a lot more irritable. Our concentration is a lot worse. Our energy regulation is a lot worse. So we experience like highs and lows throughout the day because our body is effectively trying to counteract the fact that it's not rested enough. So it's forcing you into rest throughout the day. And when you are sleeping, you activate the serotonin stuff as well. So it's super interconnected. So food, sleep, movement is super key. As I said, anything that makes the body feel good actually enables the mind to feel good. And when you look at this kind of mental health conversation, we kind of conceived, obviously, it's something in our head, like we might feel anxious, we might feel stressed, whatever it may be. But it's much bigger than that. And that's why I call it mind health, because we really need to prioritize making the body happier. As I said, the body is designed to do something completely different to what we do now. It's designed to run around in a forest and hunt and explore and be in the quiet and breathe and sleep and eat a variety of food and drink water and all those kind of things. Now it sits at a desk behind a computer. And if it's not at the computer, it looks at a phone. So the body is like neglected effectively because it's like, well, do something with me, please. So I just say each day finding space from the tech and doing things that make your body feel good, eating good food, sleeping, exercising, time outdoors, spending time with your friends makes you feel great. Anything like that, powerful and balancing out the modern world with kind of our instinctive nature. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I think, you know, sometimes there is a very easy, um, you know, body health um, kind of thing that you can do. You can go to the gym, you can go for a run, you can go for a walk. I think, you know, the terminology of mind health is really interesting. I was chatting to my wife about it yesterday where, you know, if you go to, if you're feeling unfit in the body, you go to the gym and you make that change. I think mm. now there is a much more positive way of talking about the mind and everybody is far mm -hmm. more open about actually I need a bit of mind exercise and I think a lot of yeah. what you've given us today has really, you know, I'm sure the listeners will be able to take little snippets from lots of different elements of this. They might go and stare at a tree, um, you know, <laughs> London like me, or, you know, they might be able to just take a couple of little tips about technology and how to, you know, just take a bit of a cooling period to, to make the mind rest and for you to feel better and perform better. Um, 100%. So, so, so one of the things that I'm kind of, keen to explore with you um changing lanes just quickly is how how this can help in the professional environment so you know have you got any um examples of kind of companies that you've worked with or trusts that you've worked with and and how your kind of philosophy has helped the people within those organizations 
Yeah, definitely. So I've been working with quite a range of different kind of organizations in different professional domains. So it's been kind of bigger corporate stuff like Coca-Cola or Pizza Hut, lots and lots of stuff. And then I've worked kind of blockchain space in that kind of area. And then also have recently begun working with the NHS and started working with their staff, guiding their staff through these programs. So it's been quite a variety of different domains. However, the, the motive is the same. It's kind of get the mind and the body into a better space, into a place where they can navigate the emotions that come up, navigate the pressure of the modern world, talk to themselves better, have all of these holistic behaviors that support their experience. And I've seen quite a variety of things. One thing is, is in organizations when they go through it, it suddenly opens the conversation for it to be all right to start talking about the health of their mind, which has been really powerful. A lot of organizations report that and say, now our company can actually talk about it. Often when you talk about these things, it means people can find solutions collaboratively, which can be great and maybe do extra workshops or have days where you can actually spend a bit of time away from your work or away from your desk, whatever it may be. So it opens the conversation up more. I've also seen quite a big shift in the way in which people can perform in their work. We've just began having the NHS kind of pilot feedback coming back, which has been exciting to see kind of how this is interconnected. I have individuals, it's quite a range of people, people like 111 callers, which is a seriously high pressure job. There's some really challenging calls that come in and they have to be able to navigate the pressure of it, kind of detox from one call and like deal with the pressure of that one, move on to another call at pace and all of these kind of things. And I've seen a big shift in their kind of ability to utilize emotion response strategies to kind of calm their system throughout the day on a regular basis, rather than letting stress kind of build up and go into super overwhelm. And then just their ability in general to perform in their work, because I see performance and mental health as super, super interconnected. We as humans are designed to perform at a high level. Obviously, if you take it back to kind of evolutionary stuff, those that would survive would be good hunters or good at creating or good at bringing up children or good at finding food, whatever it may be. But it's people that perform at a high level that would survive effectively. And I think therefore our mind is very adapted to perform at a high level. And when we are performing in our role and we can successfully execute our work or whatever it may be, I think it makes us feel a hell of a lot better. And when we're in those spaces where we're constantly distracted by our phone, we feel exhausted, our mood is down, we're not sleeping right, we eat loads of unhealthy food at lunch and in the afternoon going into slumps, that kind of stuff. Not only does it not make the mind feel good, you can't do your job and then you feel worse because you're not actually contributing to your organization and stuff like that. So that's the kind of shift I've seen take place throughout these individuals. And yeah, it's been powerful to kind of be a part of this journey with them. Yeah, I think it's super powerful. And as I said, you know, I've really enjoyed getting to know you more, getting to know more about your kind of philosophy on these things. I, I think it's just super um, important to be in the discussion. You know, as you said, we have been on this planet for a very long time. I think that maybe some of the really cool new things that we've got going on are detracting from some of the stuff that we've had since the beginning. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm you know, really thankful for your time today, TJ. I think it's been absolutely um, brilliant. Hopefully for some of those in this overwhelming world can, as I say, learn a few things from you. Um, but look, for, for any of our listeners that want to find out more or get in touch with you, um, can you kind of share any of your social channels with us? 
Yeah, definitely. So if you search TJ Power, that's power like electrical power on LinkedIn or Instagram, those are kind of main platforms I work on. And then there's also www.tjpower.co.uk. So you can connect with me on uh, any of those areas. There's also a lot of guidance getting pumped out and all that stuff every day on all this stuff. So maybe useful to get get into connected with. You've only got to go on your telephone to go and find it. That's the only problem. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it when you're out in nature. Do it when you're at your desk, distracting yourself. <laughs> exactly. Cool. TJ, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for your time. Wonderful. Thanks, Tom. Cheers. Cheers.